0: Good evening. Last week we drove to Belfast with Ben Kiley, Michael Hearn, and Sean J. White, and of course a busload of fare paying passengers. And then our driver, Phil Redmond, drove CIE's nice shiny coach on to the good ship Lion. Soon we were out on Belfast Lock, taking a backward look at the city and environs, and in fact we ended with a tearful farewell to Carrickfergus. On board, our garrulous and scholarly company was joined by Hamish Henderson of the School of Scottish Studies, uh, who, as you'll hear, was more than a match for any of them. Now we're clear of Belfast Lock and we're here in a reasonably open sea. Uh, One has often heard the phrase the sea-divided gale. This sea is, I think, the the gale-uniting sea, the mare nostrum of the gale, because all around, as one looks, over here, uh, we're standing, by the way, on the uh, starboard rail of the boat at the uh, stern deck and looking over here to... uh, the west uh, is the uh, Fairhead, Fairhead, the, which we all remember from our school days, Fairhead in Antrim and beyond it, Rathlin, Rathlin Island, we can see the Mull of Cantair and over here uh, on the other side is Galloway, the other bit of Scotland. And of course, when we look over here and at this land, we think of the exiles from Ireland to Scotland one can hardly think of it as an exile rather as a moving between two parts of the Gaelic Empire. Uh, nothing chauvinist meant there but <coughs> one thinks though of the first exile of Colum Kille, the grey eye weeping, Phil glass, the Ver Erin Tara ash and all that. Is there a tradition, Hamish Henderson still, of Scalm Cullam killer in this part of Scotland, over there?
1: There is a tradition of Cullumkilla, Killer, but a tradition also of older immigrants, because I think that it is wrong to think in that sense of the Gaelic Empire as the earliest thing. As Professor Gordon Child pointed out some years ago, uh, there has been perpetual movement in your mare nostrum here, perpetual movement from the Irish side to the Scottish side and the Scottish side to the Irish side. For example, you mean even before the gale. Oh long before the Gale, yes. Uh, I think it is true to say that uh, this uniting thing here is uh, millennia, millennia, not hundreds of years. And uh, the Picts, for example, who uh, who were the Picts? Those well strange of course people. the Galloway, you mentioned Galloway now. It's a funny thing. The Scots claimed to have obliterated the Picts. When they wrote their letter to the Pope in 1320, the declaration of our broth, the declaration of Scottish independence, telling the Pope who had excommunicated their king, incidentally, that if he did not play, then uh, they would uh, maybe elect another king, or if they didn't elect another king, they would maybe change the religion or something like that. Anyway, the Scots sent a very combative letter to the Pope in 1320 They claimed in that letter that they had come in the ancient Milesian days from the East and that they had then totally obliterated the Picts. Now you ask about folk traditions. In Galloway there, that is where the last Picts were, says folk tradition, and that the Picts were finally thrown off the Mull of Galloway. An old man was recorded talking about the Picts. He was asked who the Picts were, the Picts of Galloway. Galloway Irish, they also called them, incidentally. Really? Yeah, yes. Galloway Irish. So, uh, who were the Picts? Well, they were wee reed heated men with very big legs, so big that they could turn them over their heads and use them as umbrellas. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were forced by the Scots, who came from Ireland, to emigrate, and they emigrated into the sea. They emigrated into the sea over the mull of Galloway and they refused, steadfastly refused, to give their whiskey recipe before they went. <laughs> 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 all that I mean by all that nonsense, Sean, is that in fact uh, the Gaelic world and the Celtic world is comparatively recent. Of People course, think yes. of the Gales as being old. They're new. The har- My wife is German. And she belongs to Coburg, which is in Bavaria. Now, Gaelic was spoken there hundreds of years before it was spoken in Ireland. Well, and the, and, the, and the, uh, the heartland of the Celts is yeah. actually in Central Europe. Yeah, if you go there, yeah, yeah. as the archaeologists will, will freely admit, now you've got the finest hill forts that show the, the Celtic way of life in Upper Bavaria. That is their heartland. And they, the Gaels here are absolute newcomers.
0: May, oh, I say, may I say, Hamish Henderson, that you have proved that you've earned your place on this team. You've gone as far away from my original innocent question to you as even Benedict Kiley would <laughs> when he would bring us all the way to the Tucker Valley. Well, <laughs> I, but, 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 but I want to come back to Columkill. Yeah. Now at uh, the Mull of Kintyre, where did Columkill uh, first land, or did he, he go ma- straight up to Iona? No, to no, Viola? he didn't go
1: straight to Iona. The tradition says that he landed at the Mull of Kintyre. The Mull uh... the parish of south end the old uh, parish of south end consists of two older parishes one of which is the parish of column Kill. Ah. Now, when he landed there he had sworn so the saying goes to set his back to ireland as you well know cool Now, there's a stone which i have seen myself i went uh, hitchhiking all around kintyre at one time there's a stone with a well and on the top of the stone you can see the two footsteps one. Facing towards Ireland and the other turned and facing towards Scotland. No. well, that's proof, isn't that it? That <laughs> is proof, definite, solid proof, and it has been assisted by the faith and proof of hundreds, I can assure you. But
2: Hamish, in fact, uh, one of the reasons Colin Kill left uh, Kintyre, or what it wasn't called Kintyre then. Was that the Pigs and the uh, Gales were in, and the Celts were, or the Celts were in uh, combat. And he wanted to go to a
1: quiet place and he went <laughs> to Iona. Well, just like Ireland, we have been perpetually in combat, you mm, see. Yeah. I mean, our whole culture is fighting. I mean, there's never been a time when Scotland has not been totally free of pure, ordinary ramies and fist fighting, you know.
0: Anyway, let's remember this too that the first fighters were not then, nor the last fighters. The first exile then, as you pointed out, was not Cullum, uh, nor the first traveller perhaps I should say, but in the, within these lands over this mare nostrum. Uh, there have been many since, and, and I, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of the travellers. Uh, but in this corner itself, you know, there we have Rathlin, and surely Rathlin lying as it does between the two, and of course, the, the the language of Rathlin, the Gaelic of Rathlin, has been always very a very clear indication of
3: of its of its dual allegiance, as yeah. it were. Uh, I remember my first visit to Rathlin was paid was the day after the old atmosphere at Ballycastle, mm-hmm. uh, a memorable fair, a memorable day, and memorable to go to Rathlin afterwards. There was a lot of sick heads from Rathlin in that boat, and. Uh, various jokey gentlemen were pointing out, for example, the black and white of the cliffs, the basalt above the chalk, that this was some local wag who'd whitewash the cliffs halfway up. You've got these kind of local stories. But one man in the boat I talked to talked about the traditions of the Fair of Ballycastle, the fact that Ballycastle Fair was frequented by the men from Islay and Jura, who came down every year to have their children confirmed at Ballycastle, because this was a nearer diocese than Glasgow, it was far, much farther to Glasgow than it was to uh, Ballycastle. And as they came along the way, they brought the Islay whiskey with them, the good Islay mist, mm. and they fished along the way and dried the fish as they went, as they rode all that long distance down to Ratlin as the midpoint and then into Ballycastle. The credibility uh,
0: of your story, of course, falls on the point of bringing coals to Newcastle, bringing whisky to Antrim.
3: Right. Well. Perhaps there were some black bush drinkers who wanted Islay Miss for a change, but in fact it was mostly sold to Connemara men, who came up to sell ponies and donkeys at Ballycastle fair, and both of them often lodged in the same inn in Ballycastle, and civil war would all engage between Islay men and letter Frack men. And they were all talking Gaelic, I'm and All talking Gaelic, but understood have? each other very well. Indeed. Uh, on the island itself, of course, you have all the memories of the Bruce yes,
1: and the Spider. That will be the
3: brother of the man we the had below in Robert,
1: Robert, too, for God's sake. Yes. I mean, Robert came over to a system. I mean, uh, Robert... He, he came to, uh, to Robert, Robert, yeah. Robert yeah. Bruce yeah. came. I, oh, certainly. And uh, it was his only failed campaign, one has to admit it, you know. Only
2: well, he didn't fail, actually. I mean, in fairness to me, he didn't fail. And as I was saying earlier on the programme, Edward just barely failed. Barely. Yes. But on the other hand,
0: a, a, a near miss when it comes to a yeah, thing man. like a battle of that kind. Then this whole relationship between uh, Ulster particularly mm. and uh, Scotland is something I think that people all over Ulster from Donegal to Belfast are very
4: are very conscious of of course well Hamishs talk about the ancientness of all of all this the, these things reminds us of the old stone circles in the Sperrin mountains and beginning with how far does that go back maybe 5,000 years before Christ for all we know coming right down to the migratory laborers crossing these narrow seas. And indeed they, uh, who are very
0: much the, in our minds these days. It's in the news. Because The Tateyhokers,
4: in The, news, um, the, and in the story
0: of the Tateyhokers. The Tateyhokers, this, this, this um, problem, this tragedy, this very, very serious matter, tragedy, yes, very indeed, which is something that we cannot just laugh away or sentimentalise away or even just become indignant about this is something that is, I think, very much sums up very much the whole curious relationship between our two communities although indeed it has been remembered like everything serious and uh, not so serious has been remembered and rightly remembered in song and the Hawkers have had their songs
4: I think Hamish here has a number of quite interesting variants on the hooker song song that we have the tune is an
1: old song, you know it's a uh, war. Saw the tatty hokers, war. Saw them gyana war. Saw the tatty hokers, merchant, doing the brumila. Some of them mud shoes and stalk and some of them mud nana Some of them mud shoes and stalk and merchant, doing the brummila. Saw the tatty hokers, war. Saw them gyana war. Saw the tatty hokers, sailing, doing the brummila. That same tune of course had been a Jacobite song earlier on Oh would na fecht for cheerleaf O oh, would na draw the sword, all oh, would nay up and rally at the royal prince's word, Athel at lads are lads of honor, westland rogues are rebels are oh, When we come within their borders we shall guard the campbell's claw. Oh would na fecht for cheerleaf, oh would na draw the sword, oh would nay up and rally at the royal prince's word well, that particular
0: adventure, that particular relationship between the Gales of Ireland and the Gales of Scotland, uh, the story of the Prince of Jarnic is another story, and we may have to refer to it again as we go, uh, continue on our bus to Glasgow. Now the good ship Lion is making her way up the Firth of Clyde, and right in front of us, looking as if it was about to descend on us, is that great improbable lump of stone and earth called Elsa Craig. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know what even
2: the name of it means to you. Well, neither do I. I suppose Craig is calling Rock, yes. I suppose. But uh, funnily enough, it doesn't look as if it were occupied, but there was at one time a castle on it. The ruins of the castle are still on it. There is a lighthouse on it still. And uh, there is a granite quarries there, which is used for making curling stones for, as you know, for putting on ice. Not nothing to do with your hair Sean. But uh, and the lighthouse is Paddy's lantern, is that? Paddy's right? lantern. Paddy's, Paddy's uh, lantern, of course. Yes.
0: And yes, yes. well, we don't need it. The evening is still fine and clear. And yes. uh, indeed, the, 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 the visibility has, has improved enormously since we set out. Uh, and we're not in need of any friendly light from Mr. Craig. But I've often wondered what useful function
1: it, it fulfilled. It provided a wonderful line for Burns. Meg was deaf as Ilse Cray.
4: You can't be deafer than Ilsa Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what, what were the Wordsworth and Keats no, um, references? It, did what it? did yes. they to say about it? I wonder. No, do you remember? No, I don't. And, no, why, and why? And why? And why? What, Should what they conceivably have, have,
0: have it? mentioned it? As I said, it no. looks. It looks like a great enormous cake of of of, of, of rock. The and, 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 you know, sea
2: must be tremendously deep around here when you see the dip, how sheer the cliffs are the from earth. what a great height. Yes, yeah, it's quite remarkable. Now, over uh, to
0: port, as we old uh, sea dogs say, over to the east, to the right, um, we began, well, well after, um, after Galloway, we saw sheer, and now all along here, stretching up on the east side, is Ayrshire. Now, look, I can never understand... This business about highlands and lowlands, north and south of Scotland. I mean, you know, when, when when first of all starts off with the notion that there's a neat parcel, north of the line there you have Gaelic Scotland, the highlands. South of that line you have the lowlands. But
1: then surely there was Gaelic in here. Historically, it's much more west and east, isn't that right, Rosemary? Yes, same, think so. Yes.
0: Yes. Oh, by um, the way, our, our joining us now is uh, Rosemary Hutchison from South East. Which is a good Gaelic-speaking island, and uh, a good Gaelic-speaking lassie. <laughs> and Rosemary has been in, in uh, Alabino in in Nova Scotia, and uh, she's been, but more recently in Connemara, brushing up her her uh, Irish. Irish Gaelic. Uh, you. But uh, you, you were saying that, that the that the it's more an east-west division. Uh, yeah. I would think so, yes.
1: and yes. There's no doubt that this coast that we see here... To our east, uh, yes, Ayrshire. Sure. In Burns' day, in, uh, in, um, in day, for example, it was still Gaelic desirable in a parish in South Ayrshire. Mm-hmm. That means that they had to get a minister who, if possible, could speak Gaelic. Yes. That's already in the at the time of the birth of Robert Burns, the mid-18th century, yes. after the turn of, uh, well, 17th. Uh, Uh, 60 roughly. And uh,
0: some Gaelic survived much later didn't it? It probably did. Old
1: people were probably still speaking Gaelic much later than that, here and there in in isolated parts. But the whole of this coast in the Middle Ages was a Gaelic-speaking part. It was from this part in fact and down towards Galloway that the most indomitable fighters came in Scotland's War of Independence. King Robert the Bruce found his great refuge in Galloway. And it was uh, he had a few opponents there too, certainly. But it was it was in Galloway that King Robert the Bruce based himself at his hardest pressed time. And earlier on, it was from Galloway that the uh, about a third of the Scottish army came that fought at the Battle of the Standard in 1138. And uh, we know from, uh, you know, the, the records of the time that they were especially incensed against the Gowl, as, exactly as if they might have been in the south or the west of Ireland. Uh, they said, you know, uh, burn their women folk, uh, the women folk of the Gowl, burn their children, let them be rooted out. Uh, the Gowl, it seems that they did it too in certain yeah. parts.
2: Near Turnberry Castle in uh, Ayrshire, there, there's a hill and on it a beacon was lit to tell Robert Bruce that he could uh, come over safely from Arran and uh, he did. And this is told to, by Walter Scott and the Lord of the
4: Isles. Uh, weren't the Galloway warriors a mixture of Scots and Norse, which might have accounted for their particular ferocity?
1: Oh, I'm sure that's true, yes. Uh, especially the Norse element in them. Uh, the uh, Gaul Gael, or the uh, Galavidian Gales, they were especially noted for total, absolute and horrible ferocity. I
2: thought you were going to say total abstinence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and from this area too came the Galloglasses, the gall oh, indeed, indeed, of, of course, you know, the Gauloglade. These, oh, these have a long history because they came over in 1258 when there was a, a confederacy formed between O'Neill, O'Donnell and O'Brien To and o, O'Neill was recognised as the High King of Ireland, but O. Donald had lived in Scotland, had been brought up in fostered there, and he'd married a Scotswoman, and he brought over Gowlogley with him. And then when, he, when his first wife died, he married one of the Macdonalds of the Isles, and part of the dowry was Huckscore uh, Gowlogley. Ah, uh, Huckscore 160. 100.
4: Yeah. Gowlogley, of course, became it's a very common family name around my part of Tyrone. That's Gollogley. Really? Uh, most of the kids in Oma would refer to families of that name as Gollywog, not quite being aware of the classical origins of the name oh, at all. That's fairly common name.
1: But just, just to clinch this Gaelic thing for Ayrshire, in the reign of King James IV, uh, that is the flighting of William Dunbar, the finest of the Scottish medieval poets, writing in Scots, in Lowland Scots, and Kennedy, uh, this is a, a quarrel between the two you know which goes on for page after page but the thing that kennedy is reproaching dunbar with is that he is an enemy of what he calls the irish and he says thou loves name irish elf i understand but it should be all true scottish men's lead it was the good langage of this land, and Skota it led to multiply and spread. So this shows that, uh, if nothing else, that Ayrshire at that time would be regarded as a Gallic part, and this is uh, 1500.
0: That's very interesting, as perhaps one of the first examples of a fairly sophisticated approach to the to language as a, as a something that you were conscious of, concerned yeah. about, and that you saw also as the sign of a... Of a of uh, cultural difference, yes.
1: yes, and this East-West thing comes out in the same flighting, because Kennedy reproaches the East and Dunbar as being the place where they let the English rumples in in medieval Scotland. Thought the Englishmen at tales, you see, therefore English rumples. So, Wallace they still have by the way? <laughs> ah well, you've knowledge of it then. <laughs> <laughs> but Wallace got and Council into Perth and called Corspatrick traitor by his style. That false traitor damned him in deserts and said he kent but Wallace, king in Kyle. And Kyle is this part I that think, you see just across I the think, water. I there. think you have made your point, sir. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, We would no longer think of uh, Guelph and Guelph as north and south. By the way, Guelph and Gwelford, um are perhaps useful enough words in Scotland because uh, one can speak indeed of there having been parts of Scotland where Gaelic was never spoken, although presumably British Celtic was spoken before yeah. before the Scottish language, before Lowland Scottish, before Northern English, whatever you like to call it yes. was spoken in, British, in the South yes, Greek yes, language. yes, but, but in Ireland this is not true, and the uh, Gaeltheth and Galteth are, well I'm not going to get onto this hobby horse, but I don't think they should be used about Ireland at all, um, place names of course is one of the great are one of the great indications for the survival of a culture and indeed um, the uh, one of the <coughs> Ayrshire place names that occurs to me is Ballantrae of
4: course oh, yes, yeah. well a common obvious enough Gaelic name it just occurs to me that day Blockham that we mentioned uh, earlier used to always refer to Stevenson's kidnapped and Katrina as very Gaelic stories, but so of course is the master of Ballon three too. Apart from a certain Calvinist thing, well maybe the Gaels can be Calvinist too. Most native Gaelic
1: speakers are calvinist yes. And yes, well uh, anywhere because we have more of them than you have right? so
4: that Stevenson has it perfectly in Ballon three, he has both Calvinism and Gaelicism in the same story. It must be said,
0: mind you, though, about the Calvinists and the and the Catholics and the, in uh, in Scottish in the Scottish uh, Gaelic world. Now, um, you come, don't you, from a uh, Catholic one island? One from, of the Catholic from islands, the south yes. South Uist, and I mean, Barra, beginning at the south of the Outer Hebrides, South Uist, moving up through Benbecula and half Benbecula. The lower, the southern half is Catholic. Catholic the northern Catholic, half yes. is Calvinist, and then. North Uist is is Calvinist. Yes, Yes. it is. But I was once at a a social location, a Cayley, in year 1965 in Benbecula. It was a farewell for the parish priest who has been moving to another parish. And the Cayley, the singers of the Cayley, were from all over the two Uists and from Benbecula. There were Calvinists and Catholics, and they were all taking part in this. And it was a very pleasant and uh, jolly evening in every you know, sense of the word. Which
4: reminds me that I once heard that there was a good solid Presbyterian harbour master or something of the sort in Iona who used to sweep the seaweed out over the place where the people got off the boats long ago so that the Romanist pilgrims might at least break an anchor. <laughs>
0: <up>. <laughs> I see. And there was that going on each again.
1: <laughs> well, you know, yes. Yeah. Across there, this is then again later on the territory of what you would term the heretics, uh, what uh, the Scots would think of as the defenders of true religion, uh, the Covenanters. Oh, yeah. Yes, the Covenanters. That covenant. is the great part of the Covenanters. It was oh, the southwest yes. of Scotland that really held out for king and covenant. And whatever you think of these folk, and I mean, uh, you might think Robert Burns, who said so many uh, silly things, could also say good things too. And he re- refers to the covenant in these terms, the solemn League and covenant. Files brings a smile, files brings a tear, but sacred freedom too was theirs. If thou art a slave, indulge thy sneer. And they, and they were fighting for what they thought was freedom. And they were also remarkably indomitable people. And just like their ancient Galgail ancestors, they were exceedingly bitter and
4: ferocious people there, too. There was a tradition, Amish, in southwest Donegal and Glen Colum Kill, that, you know, the the sort of Presbyterian settlement there, that it was established originally by Coventers who, rather than yield, left here by boat and sailed right round the coast of Ireland and landed in this remote. Valley, which then only opened out to the sea.
0: Am I, am I not right in thinking that there are covenanters in County Antrim in the Braid Valley? Uh,
1: almost I certainly, I think is. that is yes. true. I'd like to quote one thing. Now, this, I'm sure, would be unfamiliar to most people in Scotland, let alone Ireland. It is one of the most wonderful lapidary epitaphs in history. And this is of these same covenanters who died for what they thought was the truth and the faith. And in those days, you know, after the execution, they were split up. Uh, the head was sent one way, was buried, arms were sent one way, legs another, you know, and exhibited, stuck up here and there in the reign of King Charles II, the killing times, as the covenanters call them. Now, this magnificent, to me, I think, magnificent epitaph, you know, is about some of the Presbyterian martyrs of those days, and it goes as follows. Stay, passenger, take notice what thou reads. At Edinburgh lie our bodies, here our heads. Our right hand stood at Lanark. These we want, because with them we swear the covenant.
0: When we speak of the Lowland culture, which we must honour alongside the Gaelic culture of Scotland, uh, uh, is there an awareness of Ireland, as there is in the Gaelic culture, is there an awareness
1: of Ireland in the Lowland culture? Awareness of it? There seems to be an obsession with it, shall a pure obsession with it. The amazing thing is that in so many of the nursery rhymes, in rhymes that you find embedded in the middle of folk tales, the country that is always coming up is Ireland. There's a rhyme that you get up and down Scotland from northeast to southwest, which in various shapes and forms begins, I took my hat in my hand and I hape it over to Ireland. I took my hat in my hand and hopped over to Ireland. <laughs> what did I find there? Well, all the rhymes say different things, you yes. see. But it means, in the long run, they found just the same as Scotland. And then in this old story here, which is in Chamber's Popular Rhymes of Scotland, there is the most beautiful poetic rhyme, which goes as follows. The red itin of Ireland ain't lived in Baligan, and stole King Malcolm's daughter, the king of fair Scotland. He beats her, he binds her, he lays her on a band, and every day he dings her with a bright silver wand. Like Julian the Roman, he's one that fears no man. It said the same predestinate to be his mortal foe, but that man is yet unborn, and long may it be so. Well,
2: no. that's a dirty black covenanting <laughs> lie. Lest
0: we stay too long over there, let's cast our eyes to starboard, I think, yes. Uh, Sean White always insists that he can see practically to, to Harrison
3: Lewis from here. Well, when we started out, I could see. Uh, Isle, where they make that very fine whiskey, Isle Mist, but unfortunately, an Isle Mist has come down an Isle at the moment, and beyond it, you can also, on a clear day, as they say, <laughs> see the of Jura, but I think we can only see the mist over them now. But we really are moving in among the islands. Well,
0: the I moment. mean, we're approaching the Inner Hebrides, are we? Yes, yes. Now, what so. are counted as the Inner Hebrides?
1: Well, Skye is the biggest of in the Inner Hebrides, and Mull, the next biggest island. Then there is uh, Isla and Jura. And uh, Colin say, egg. then of course there's rum and there's egg. And uh, what else, Rosemary? Come on now. Uh. Have I dazzled you with all these beautiful <laughs> words? <laughs> it's it's tyree it's is also in the Hebrides, and so is
0: Col. Tyree is the flattest place I was ever in my life.
1: There are beautiful songs about all these islands. Yes. Do you know this, Sean, as far as Gaelic now, uh, yes. Rosemary may have to come to my help here, but uh-huh. there are more beautiful songs about these islands than there are people living in some of them now. Uh-huh. That's, that's yes. a big statement, but it is perfectly true. There is such a wonderful, beautiful, gargantuan extravaganza of popular culture in all these islands. Yes. Now, uh, you mentioned Nova Scotia earlier on, and uh, yes. you mentioned, Sean, the disgraceful, uh, disgraceful, contemptful, for, and disregard for the Gaelic culture in Nova Scotia. Well, of course, we've well, all been yes.
0: woefully. Annie uh, Johnson,
1: a school teacher in Barra, she was a school teacher in Castle Bay oh, for yes, years. Oh, of course, a the, great woman, the great Lana, Woman, great
0: yes. Callum's, I've met Callum, of course, I didn't yeah. know Annie, unfortunately, yeah. Anna, unfortunately, yes. That's
1: right. Uh, she she uh, corresponded with Seamus DeLogge yes, in Ireland indeed, yes. and, yes. and uh, contributed to biologists and so on. Of course, now, yes. Uh, and, uh, An-
0: yes. And there's a her, her there, there's a volume of her, of yeah. her songs. That's and, right. Yes. Anyway, Candace, she went across Callum to Cape Monachlan Breton. Callum brought it out, yes.
1: She went across to Cape Breton, and the song I'm now going to sing you a bit of, I learnt from Annie... And she learnt it in Nova Scotia now. And, where and it had it has come s- from originally. It had come from the island of Col originally. Right. Which yeah. is just over there. Yes. Birkenjochsel <laughs> live maroon. Birkenjochsel live maroon. All in Jochlan Yerisheimus Birchenjochsel Live Maroon Jochlanj Feran Duer Bierchen Jochsel Live Maroon. That is a song, just uh there's three or four lines of a song yes. that comes no, from came this, from call originally. Yeah.
4: Is that a Jacobite song? No, no. It
1: it isn't, it, it it's uh it's, it's, it's a song about a girl who was disinherited for some reason by her father, and uh, she was sent away to Rocky Call, Colach you know. Yeah. And she was kept there in a sort of, although she was of aristocratic birth, uh, according to the song, she was kept there as a servant girl. And uh, when the old chief died, who I believe was on South Uist, and it was a clan <laughs> Ronald, as far as I can remember, but I didn't want to say that. Uh, oh, anyway, never. <laughs> uh, when, the, when the old clan Ronald died, the young one came in a galley and Brought her away from the island of coal.
2: Yeah. Uh, Tell me d- about the Jacobites, by the way. Is there extraordinary the affection that the Stuarts uh, were able to muster up? Because they were really a scruffy lot. They know, were right? a worthless
1: crowd. Yes. Well, I mean, so all kings ways. are. All kings yeah. are no sensible man but a sort of republican. Right. Isn't
4: the Stuarts had a style, though, you must admit. Even style had their... they had, yes. But with I mean, the possible yes. exception of James, or notorious James, the others all really had style. Oh, James Charlie had, had style. King James the, the Seventh
1: same. had style on the sea. He yes. was quite a good sea he captain. Was, yes, yeah. right. I'm glad and, to uh, hear you say King James the Seventh. Yes, but King uh, King Charles II uh, had style in words, and, I mean, he showed himself there a descendant, really, of his ancestors, uh, in that he was able to say a few very good things. I mean, a man that can get Rochester to make his famous epigram, you know, is still a good man. Here lies our sovereign Lord the king whose ne- word no man relies on, who never said a foolish thing and never did a wise one. Oh, that, <laughs> that, that, that sums up the stewards maybe from start to finish.
0: Here we're coming up to Aaron now, the island of Aaron and indeed there are Arans as we know. We're, we've no shortage of Aran on the on the Irish coast, uh, and indeed on the Irish mainland. Do you know the origin of the of the name here?
1: Well, I believe it's uh, disputed. I was looking yesterday in W. J. Watson's Celtic Place Names of Scotland uh, for seeing you I'd ask me this. Anyway, he thinks that it is not the same derivation as the Aran, for example, uh, of Donegal or of which it's kidney-shaped, apparently. Yes, the yes. You Yes, the
0: Oran the shape of the kidney. Yes. And one, one has found it, I thought, in many place names, you see. Uh,
1: according to Watson, this is the uh, the, the popular idea in uh-huh. Gaeldom, that it would be the same as the Irish Arran, but he thought it maybe a pre-Celtic name all the same, ah. that it got Gaelicized at some stage. That it was really a pre-Celtic name. Well,
0: now, is the Isle of Aran. is there any Gaelic there now?
1: Uh, yes, there is, but very, very old people. Uh, uh-huh. One bearing my own name, incidentally, Henderson, <laughs> who is um, uh, still alive on Arran, a, a native Gaelic speaker. But the... Um, The tradition in Arran is uh, almost dead.
0: The Henderson name isn't from this part of Scotland, is it?
1: You find Hendersons all over Scotland. I I am descended from Hendersons from the extreme north of Scotland, from Sutherlandshire. (coughs) We are a sept of the clan Gunn who were actually Norsemen originally and were Gaelicized in about the uh, 11th or 12th centuries and then became the frontier clan of the Gaeldom as against the people in the northeast tip of Scotland who are always uh, Norwegian uh, speakers, yes, the yes. people in the lowlands of Caisness. Yes.
0: And soon we're, we'll see, I think, up here, Holy Island. Uh, the Holy Island, has is a Gaelic name? The little island here just beside, or uh, just off the the near coast of, of Aran?
1: Well, I'm sure it must be Elendø, or no, something like think that. So, yeah. I it, it, yeah. but, uh, but, um,
3: it actually, uh, it's... The Holy Island comes from the Anchorite cell on it. There's an Irish saint, <laughs> our own Saint Mollaise. Oh, Mollaise. Mollaise. Mm. Ah. S- uh, who's probably also Saint Molto's. Oh, in, in, in Kinsale. In yes. yes. He was yes. here in Columban days. He had an Anchorite cell there on the island. Mm. And it's a high triangular island to rise to about a thousand feet in Lamlash Bay, which uh, oh, yeah. also it is, is notable. notable, yes. yes. Yes,
0: what's this, the reason yes. that it's notable?
4: Churchill sent the fleet there, wasn't it, when they were expecting civil war in Ireland? Yes. Or at least sent some detached fleet detachment it was to lum-lige. Yes the, the British fleet were, were, were waiting
1: was what what was that? the we're time for
2: The oh, Mutiny
1: yes. yes. Well we mentioned Robert Bruce before well there's another uh, Robert Bruce Association in Arran it was an Arran that he finally raised his standard in the successful campaign from 1313 to 1314 that ended in the Battle of Bannockburn uh, he crossed from Arran to the mainland and uh, fought his final campaign to establish Scottish independence.
0: Uh, Did Bruce have uh, the support of the Gaelic clan?
1: He had particularly the support of the Gaelic part of Scotland, of the people who fought in Bannockburn, for example, Something like uh, three-quarters or more of his army must have been Gaelic speaking. Furthermore, Bruce himself probably could speak Gaelic, as Wallace did, for example. Uh, Wallace and Bruce, uh, although the traditions of Wallace and Bruce are enshrined in famous poems in Lowland Scots, written later, Mm -hmm. uh, both Wallace and Bruce spoke Norman French, probably, and Gaelic. These were their languages.
4: And I do think it's time as we approach the shore that we should have another song. Well, there's a song that comes from one of the isles, maybe
1: Rosemary's Isle. I think it, it should be Rosemary's it's Isle. It's sung
0: there anyway.
1: Yeah. Anyway, it's a song about this girl. Her husband, uh, or her lover, has joined King George's army. He's donned the red coat and he's sailed away. And she says she's looking always over the sea for a man of his shape to come back towards her. <laughs> So you me Hello, Allah... how long?
0: I was in the car and I the car and I the car and I was in the car. I was That heavy sound you hear in the background are the sighs of relief from my more landlubberly colleagues uh, as they come onto dry land once again here at Ardrossan on the coast of Renfrewshire, I think. Am I right, Hamish? No, this is still Ayrshire. Is it still Ayrshire? My goodness. What a county it is. Uh, behind us there to the uh, northwest is the Isle of Bute. And, you know, I've always, I'm always surprised to, to realise that the Isle of Bute isn't somewhere out in the Hebrides.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's so closely landlocked that uh, you might almost regard it as part of the mainland. You know? But uh, it's got long uh, associations with the lords of the isles. In fact, I believe at one time, uh, like many of the parts of Argyll, it, uh, it was claimed and actually administered by the lords of the isles, who were, of course, the descendants of the Viking rulers, you know. The lordship, which was a separate kingdom at one time, and they called themselves Re-Naneland. Isn't that right, Rosemary.
0: Uh, although Gaelic, I suppose, was spoken there within,
1: oh, within living, living memory, memory
0: and uh, I was at a moth there myself, I yeah. remember one year. It was held in Rothsay. Well, of course, the associations of Rothsay are quite
1: different generally, aren't they? Uh, well, Rothsey was the great Shangri-La of the Glaswegians. They would come pouring dune the water from uh, Glasgow tune itself and they would devouch in the hundreds in Rothsey and they would sing Eh, hey, hogman hey, at Glasgow Fair, there was me, my cell and several mare. We argued out to hay a tear and get the length of Rossio. We wandered doing the brumy law, through rain and hail and sleet and snow And at 60 minutes after twa, we got the length of Rossio. Daduma do a do a day, Dadum a do a daddy oh, do a a day the day we went to Rossio a soldier lad caught rugglin' well, was regiment's lying at barn hell do doot we a tunners to get a jill in a public who's in Rossio He said I think we'll begin to sing, said I ah, you'll need a sicker thing He said Tuck the floor and I'll mark a ring and I'll fetch you though in Rossio. Dar-rum-a-doo-a-doo-a-dee, Dar-rum-a-doo-a-doo-a-dee, the day we went, went to Rossio. Rossio. Now
0: driving through Ardrossan town, proper, that is to say, as distinct from the harbour, I don't think any any Irishman, Sean White, would feel in any doubt but that he is in a Scottish town.
3: We're not only in a Scottish town, but we're in a planned town laid out in the early 19th century by the second Earl of Eglinton and uh, it didn't really become a very successful project until steam developed with the steam going boats to Ireland and of course the boats across to Arran. But now, as you see, it is quite a prosperous little port town mixed with industry as well. There's a good deal of uh, an oil refinery and various things down the coast. But apart
0: from the splendid neo-Italian Cafe Palazzo here on my right, (laughs) Uh, I mean, these marvelous uh, house fronts, uh, which, you know, seem, to really express and incarnate everything one has ever thought about a Scottish small town.
3: Yes, I I think, of course, the use of stone in Scotland is uh, marvellous by comparison with, in Ireland, as my father used to say, two things ruined Ireland, Sinn Féin and concrete. (laughs) 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 There's no no, no fear of that over here.
0: No, you still do use a great deal of stone, don't
2: you?
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, To this day, uh, stone is still... uh, uh, used for, for building in many places, yes. And,
0: I mean, the thrifty Scots don't seem to find it uneconomic. I mean, is there any reason why we shouldn't use
1: more stone in Ireland? We we have stone. We God have knows, stone. Goodness knows we have stone. Well, the whole Edinburgh New Town, uh, I mean, it's a magnificent great uh, uh, planned rubble of stone, more or less, you know? <laughs> And uh, the same could be said of, of, of what used to be a beautiful part of Glasgow, which is the great slum part of Glasgow now, the Gorbals, you know, which is a magnificent with the wide streets. And the houses themselves, if you look at them, you know, are stately, beautiful, bonny houses, although they've been allowed to go to, to sheer uh, ruination.
0: Well, magnificent
1: stone houses.
0: Corruptio optimi pessima, as we used to say in the old days when we had the Latin. Hmm. Well, I see the street here called Glasgow Street, and I suppose... The inevitable terminus ad quem for all the Irish who have come here over the centuries, well, at least in recent, in the recent century and a half, say, was there much um, dissension between Irish and Scottish
1: workers? Did this happen here much? It did indeed happen here, and there were occasionally very, very bad internecine fights between the Scots and the Irish, naturally based upon the brute fact that uh, there was the uh, labour wage, uh, the the labour conflict of wage, uh, the Irish were naturally always prepared to work a bit cheaper, this is to be understood, and uh, naturally the Scots resented this. I'm the Irish were
2: prepared
0: to work cheaper because to, to them it was enormous wealth after the exactly. conditions they'd come from, of
1: course.
2: Yes, naturally. Did this give rise to the uh, Rangers-Celtic uh, thing in football, this great rivalry? Was it that the, that the Rangers people came from uh, Belfast? and the Celtic
1: from the Catholic part of Ireland or was the, the Scottish thing that Rangers had? Rangers versus Celtic is basically an Irish dispute. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, as George Malcolm Thompson put it in his book Caledonia the Future of the Scots, the Ark of the Covenant was carried from Ireland by those who wished to hoist either an orange or a green flag. They regarded their Ark of the Covenant as the Covenant and uh, there is no doubt about it that um, Uh, It is basically an Irish dispute, in modern times that is, but of course uh, in Scotland there was plenty of the old covenanting feeling to sustain it, so that uh, then the uh, orange business uh, merely merged with uh, a submerged a tradition of uh, covenanting extreme... But, of course, the Irish and Scots did intermarry a bit, didn't they? Yes, they did, and
2: I was reading about Sidney Smith the other day, and... Uh, the great Sydney, Smith? The great Sidney Smith. Yeah. There was a young... He wasn't just an Irishman, or a Scotsman. No, no, but he did... He was editor of the Edinburgh Review for a long while, and he, was... he heard that a young Scot was marrying an Irish widow twice his age, and more than twice his size. <laughs> so he said he could not marry her all himself. It would not be bigamy. But Trigamy, there is enough of her to furnish wives for a whole parish. One man marry her, it is monstrous. You might people a colony with her, or give an assembly with her, or perhaps take your morning's walk around her, always provided that there were several resting places and you were in rude health. I once was rash enough to try walking around to myself, but only got halfway and gave it up exhausted one might read the riot act about her and disperse her. In fact, do anything with her but marry her.
0: (laughs) Oh, dear, 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 dear.
2: Um, We're coming up, I think,
0: to uh, kill winning, aren't we? Uh, That's what lies ahead here. Uh, But um, before we arrive there, I just wanted to recall the fact that whatever... uh, However, the Irish workers in Scotland, in Glasgow, in... in, um, in the lowlands, particularly in in the early 19th century and in later days, perhaps, however much they may, through uh, the unfortunate circumstances at home and so on, however they may have perhaps been guilty of um, working for lower wages than their Scottish brothers. I think surely the the, um, Irish did restore the balance in later years because we must remember uh, that the great figure of James Connolly bridges so many of these gaps between Ireland and Scotland.
1: It does indeed. The greatest modern Marxist outside Italy, in my own opinion, uh, the uh, Italian being Antonio Gramsci, the great Marxist philosopher, the founder, the, the founder of the Italian Communist Party. Mm. James Connolly, not only as hero and martyr, but as, uh, as thinker and philosopher uh, and historian, uh, is an astounding figure when one considers that uh, most of his education was self-made. Uh, and uh, in Edinburgh, uh, many people, uh, may I say for myself and I'm sure for others, Sean, are very proud of, e- of Connolly as an Edinburgh man. Uh, about uh, three or four years ago, uh, the centenary of the birth of Connolly was honoured by the putting up of a plaque in the Cowgate where he was born, mm-hmm. and uh, people forgathered. From the working-class movement from all over uh, Scotland, Highland and Lowland, to honour James Connolly at that particular time. Uh, I'm sure there that you are absolutely right, this is a, a figure of the first importance, bridging in modern times this age-old gap.
0: And it's good to know that in Ireland the younger generation at least are coming to realise the crucial importance of Connolly. By the way, we're coming into Kilwinning now, and I believe this too has Irish origins, has it uh, him?
1: I believe it has. W.J. Watson, in his Celtic place names of Scotland, says that Kilwinning is a corruption of the Church of the Cell of St Finbar. Finbar, which only goes to show, show that the Cork men are everywhere.
0: <laughs> well, if they're just passing now, uh, Abbey Remains, I don't know if there's very much of them
3: left, John. Uh, No, it's rather a desolate site now. There's a new church in the middle of it. But this was an abbey built in the 12th century, the time of David I. Ah, yes, Um, not the original uh, Cork Foundation. Not the original St Finbar (laughs) Abbey. But uh, it's uh, an interesting... uh, Before golf became a national pastime in Scotland, apparently archery was the uh, game of the Scots burger. And there was a famous uh, competition held every year where a silver papingo uh, was on the abbey... Tower and the shot at this mark, and this is still commemorated by the Ancient Society of Archers here in Kilwinning, uh, and it is also famous as the uh, oldest or first um, Freemason lodge in Scotland, Kilwinning. So it's uh, for Masons and Archers both. It's a notable. And town. and corkmen. <laughs>
0: We're just coming in now to Renfrewshire, out of Ayrshire. I thought we'd never get out of Ayrshire <laughs> when we had the other, but uh, here in Renfrewshire, and a
2: very pleasant country it is. Yes, it's lovely rolling pasture land, rather neatly kept hedgerows and that, and rather less trees than you find in Ireland in, in this sort of
1: country. Well, it's like County Down a bit, isn't it? Don't you think so? Parts of County Down? here? See, we've
2: just passed the golf links now. And some of you may know about this game, this inferior form of howling.
1: Oh, well, uh, uh, people have been, um, uh, the their necks have been thrown for less statements than that.
2: Is there any Shinty now played in Scotland?
1: Oh, plenty of Shinty, yes. Uh,
2: more, north of, more northerly than here, is it? That's right. It,
1: it is uh, distinctively a Highland game, Shinty. But it's a very, very popular game. And in fact, uh, occasionally the university teams play uh, Hurley teams from Ireland. I used to turn out every year to see the Highland Society of, Ed- of Edinburgh University uh, which was practically the same as the Shinty team at one time, uh, turned out to play Queens University at hurling. It is the word come on used for the hurling, for the Shinty stick. That's right. The come on is in fact uh, oh, is the name yeah, for yeah. is the name for the Shinty stick in Gaelic, yeah. and Kamanach,
2: well,
4: no, 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 Call it
1: Kamanach. Yeah. Kamanach, uh, The Kamanach yeah. cup is the is the uh, uh, championship. Now,
4: what is the, <laughs> is the radical difference between the Shinty stick and um, and the hurling stick, oh, is the hur- in the width of the blade.
1: It is. Well, the hurling stick is much... It looks more like a boomerang, the Irish hurling stick, doesn't it? I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah. quite broad where it curves. There's no boss, in other words, what they call the boss.
2: There's no boss in the Camanacht or Shinty stick. The, the the Scots
0: were always a democratic people. They didn't like a boss. Uh, uh, you know, it, along this countryside, going through the little villages and the smaller the towns too... Uh, again, this indefinable Scottish character, uh, which one would try to define, perhaps in terms of stone, but also in styles of, of house building. John.
3: Yeah, well, there's two things I always knew before I came to Scotland that were related to Scottish domestic building, and one was the bay window, and the other was the dormer window, the little window in the roof. But it wasn't actually until I came and looked at these villages I realised the Scots had performed the supreme feat of putting a bay window in the roof. In fact, a lot of their dormers are bays, and uh, it seems to run right through these villages. Uh, the well-built, tidy stone houses with these uh, bays, this uh, triangular bay window, um, and you find uh, a certain charm about this style, even though a little unexpected to find them up on the roofs.
0: Well, we seem to be approaching more in more the country of of the heavier industry. Uh, although I find it remarkable that here, and we're you know we're not many miles from Glasgow, we are still in the heart of the country. Oh you? yes, this is Absolutely. the
1: old uh, folk proverb. Naturally, it's great to live in Glasgow, but we can get out of it so quickly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> the Royal Ulsterman, we had a dram when daylight broke, we all awoke and saw the broomy law. We marched up to Argyle Street, bought whiskey, rum and beer, and all the crowds they gathered round the Irish men are here. We were not rash, we wore no sash, we sang no party lay. <coughs> For we had come to join the fun, a real Scotch Hogmanay. We marched up to Argyle Street, we bought whiskey, stout and rum. And the songs we sang were sweet Straban and prigton here we come. Is that your own song? That's my own song. I composed it coming once from... I, I was working in the north of Ireland at that time and uh, I heard uh, a lad sing just a fragment of uh, two or three lines of this obviously describing a party of Ulster Orangemen going to uh, to Glasgow for Hogmanay and I decided I would complete the song. And, uh, well, there are about uh, 40 verses, but I won't detain you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's very suitable for our going into Glasgow now for... In fact, we are now going in uh, through the uh, outer streets of this
1: great city. Uh, Glasgow has been there a long time I think. Oh indeed, it's a very ancient city and uh, it's uh, associated with Saint Mungo, who is the um, uh, legendary uh, founder and saint of Glasgow. And it's a very important town in the Middle Ages. In the reign of Queen Mary, it was um, a great strategic place. Who commanded Glasgow in the West here was uh, in command of the West of Scotland.
0: Yes, I suppose many of us, while recognising Glasgow's industrial importance, and indeed uh, its the, the size and, and uh, significance of Glasgow in modern Scotland, have always tended perhaps to think that Edinburgh
2: was the the only ancient town in Scotland. I know, uh, Glasgow is a very ancient town, but a very ancient university, dating from about 1450. And it's now moved to new buildings, hasn't it? Yes,
1: well, the, the old buildings are still there, but of course it's expanded, and there are two universities in Glasgow now. There is uh, Strathclyde University, of course, yes. uh, which is uh, a very important and expanding university at the present minute. Uh, I think that uh, Glasgow Uh, in many ways and here let me say this as somebody working in Edinburgh is the genuine and real capital of scotland it will continue to be i think the place where the decisions are made that affect scotland most a great threat uh, now overhangs glasgow this is the destruction by the present tory government of the uh, of ucs of upper Cry, clyde shipbuilding this is the most serious single threat that scotland has had to face for a long time and i very much hope that uh, the clyde side workers will Reachieve their old tradition of militancy and uh show the bosses where they get off i, I mentioned before connolly uh, as being uh, one of the greatest modern marxists well in uh, due patriotism i should mention here the name of john mclean who was a friend of connolly and was uh, although not a thinker on the level of connolly Uh, was certainly a brave man, a man of action and, in effect, a martyr. The the old Glasgow, working-class Glasgow, had a unique flavour and joy and colour all its own. And, uh, you know, in spite of all the violence and uh, sometimes, let's face it, the brutish violence of Glasgow life, uh, there was a a marvellous feeling of uh, solidarity and joy is the word I would think, because it's expressed in the songs and in the the music of the people, that tremendous gusto and joy, in fact, uh, permeated the life of the the city.
0: It has been said that uh, that Glasgow is the greatest Celtic-speaking city in the world, and of course the greatest Gaelic-speaking city, and the greatest concentration of Gaelic speakers, uh, certainly, both from Ireland and from Scotland, and Glasgow does know... uh, the, the Highlanders and the Islanders, the people from Uish and Barra and all the islands. And and I suppose the highlands and islands have reason to know Glasgow. And do they sing
1: of Glasgow at they all? They sing of it all right, and they've sung of it since the Middle Ages. In fact, uh, Glasgow in the Middle Ages was the sort of emporium, the great center of wealth and, uh, and uh, all richness. Anyway, here is a song that mentions Glasgow that probably dates back to the 16th century. sal <laughs> Ilian beko ilioro, Ilian beko ilioro, Ilian beko ilioro. I o hino no o el, kau na glasa hu a vai, kau na glasa hu a vai, kau na glasa hu a vai. Nandun vekein spekon lare. Ilian beko ilioro, Ilian beko ilioro, Ilian and i
0: think we couldn't end uh, our journey uh, on the bus to Glasgow, and uh, with a better song, and uh, for, uh, sung there by Rosemary Hutchison from South East, and by Hamish Henderson, both of whom say, "Iheva," and it's good night also, Hello. from Ben Kiley, Hello. from Sean White, Hello. and from uh, Michael Hearn. Hello.